as your party beats the lich, you turn to face the final ghostly visage, and you hear a bittering wail. Give me a constitution saving throw. That's a one. And your entire party is unconscious. I'm so sorry, but that's the end of your campaign. You're all dead. We died? Yes. I'm Austin. And I'm Mo. And we talk deadly low-level monsters on this episode of Dungeons & Brews. Mr. Austin, welcome back. Welcome. It is so good to be back. It is fantastic to be back, my good friend. We are diving in here uh, about almost midway through the month now, uh, getting closer to the holiday season. Hopefully you're all having a great holiday season so far. But we talk again, deadly low-level monsters here today. We are talking specifically in more relation towards Austin's favorite subject, CRs. And why it's bad. Why it's great. But let's talk about the brew of choice today. And just like last week, we are going to switch it up for this week. Instead of focusing again on our lovely brew selection or an ale today, we don our dignitary robes. We sit down amongst the scholars and politicians that we truthfully are. We truthfully are. And today we actually are doing a wine for you guys. Has a delightful smell. It's absolutely amazing. So today, guys, we ended up getting a Tamukala Valley, California-based wine. It is a rosé. It is called Puzzles Vows, I think. But uh, it was given to me as a gift, and I kind of wanted to open it up. So, yes, we are doing a nice little rosé wine today. So, just like before, since we do not have a lovely little clinking mechanic, we are just going to hit it with our fingers. Three, two, one. That's pretty solid. It's a good rosé. Yeah. yeah. Not too sweet. It's nope. very light. Not even, doesn't it's have... nice. Doesn't have an, any real burn on the alcoholic taste. It's nice. It's very pleasant. Yeah, rosés. Rosés are rosés. I'm a bigger fan of reds, personally. Yeah. Like if I'm ever yeah, gonna same. sit down, yeah, same. it just tastes better. Yeah, same. And I don't mind a whites, except rieslings. Way too sweet rieslings. I don't mind a riesling if I have if I'm pairing it with like an appropriate meal that like makes sense for the reason. Like I used to make a orange basin chicken that was really good with like a peach riesling. Was that how you seduced your partner? You're just like, hey, honey. I no, I actually, I don't. Think, don't I, need the details. I think but... I've only cooked like once or twice for her. Yeah, oh, really? I really haven't cooked that. Wow, times. you are a great human being. I'm an awful human being. That's fine. <laughs> That's fine. But moving on from that to more awful non-human beings, today we're talking about deadly low-level CR monsters. They could be human beings, we're just saying. They could be. They yeah. could be potentially. So I know we've mentioned uh, in a previous episode, CR, why CR, I think CR sucks, um, and why Mo is maybe not so much under that count. However, we decided to follow up because I know we had made mention in that episode about me showing some of my favorite deadly low-level monsters as reasons that like, hey, CR is not really a balanced mechanic, right? And today we decided that we were each going to pick three of our favorite low-level, like low CR, so something under CR6 and show its stats off, kind of give you a description of what it does and why we think it's particularly deadly. So, you know what? I think this would be a great time for a dice battle to Whoa, determine not it. only if my lead extends, but who goes first. Ow. Why you got to take all the fun out of it? All right. Three, two, one. 17. I don't know. What do you want it to be? What is it? Seven. It's a seven. <laughs> and the lead ever extends. I don't like being behind. It's not a good swap for me. You're falling behind once again, though. Have you rolled double digits the last three episodes in a row? I actually have, yes. This is... I switch dice every time, too. Do you? Yeah. Is that why you keep giving me this dice? No, I've sw- I, get, I offer you to get any dice, and you are the one that either likes the metal one or the one that compensates, so... Girth. Anyways. I will go first. Find... In determining, so I'm going to hit everyone with a classic for my first one, The Shadow. So for my experienced players and DMs, you've almost assuredly had a shadow at some point in time show up in your campaign, but I'm going to give you the full breakdown. So 
from the darkness, the shadow reaches out to feed on the living creature's vitality. They consume any living creature, but they are especially drawn to creatures untainted by evil. A creature that lives a life of goodness and piety consigns its basest impulses and strongest temptations to the darkness where the shadows hunger. So what a shadow is, is it's an undead creature. It's chaotic evil. It's got an armor class of 12, 16 hit points, speed of 40 feet. So you're already like, it's really not all that impressive, right? It's only a challenge rating one half. The stats aren't all that impressive. It has a plus four to stealth though, which is pretty solid. Um, it is vulnerable to radiant damage. It's resistant though to acid, cold, fire, lightning, uh, thunder, bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing from non-magical attacks. So remember we went over at you know, CR1, which is a level one character, you don't usually have a magic weapon until like level four, five, nope. six. So you're getting these without most of your party probably being able to damage it other than maybe you're a paladin, a cleric, or maybe like a spell, a, a full spellcaster. And even then some of them are resisted. They're immune to necrotic and poison and they have a ton of condition immunities like as well. Um, but some of the things that make them very deadly is first off, when they're in dim light or darkness, they can hide as a bonus action. So again, blending in with the shadows. But the thing that makes them a deadly low-level monster is their only action is called Strength Drain. It's a melee weapon attack, and it does 2d6 plus 2 necrotic damage on a hit. However... Doesn't sound bad with, so far, does it? Without a save. So remember, there is no save for what the, this does. The target's strength score is reduced by 1d4. The target dies if their strength is reduced to zero. Otherwise, it la the reduction lasts until the target finishes a short or long rest. If a non-evil humanoid dies from this attack, a new shadow rises from the corpse 1d4 hours later. So the reason that this is such a deadly monster is obviously, for one, the damage resistances are insane. Immunities and resistances to base acid, cold, fire, lightning, thunder, bludgeoning, piercing, slashing, necrotic, and poison is at least resisted or immune to. At level one, two, three, there's not that many sources of radiant damage available. So if you don't have a cleric or your paladins already use their spell slots, this is a this is already a tough creature to fight. Then you got to think your wizard probably has a strength score of eight. Yeah. Your bard probably has a strength score of eight. Heck, your sorcerer also pro is probably the same. Like there are a lot of classes that dump strength and two rolls at a max, that's zero. You're, it's not, it doesn't say, oh, you go unconscious. It says you die. You die. No saving Outright, throws. You die. No, no death saving throws, no saving throw for the mechanic. And that alone is why it's deadly. And I'll give you a personal example of how these creatures have personally TPK'd an entire party for me is that in Curse of Strahd, there is a preliminary adventure that you don't have to run, but you can run to get people associated with the world. It's called the Death House. And one of the encounters is three shadows. Well, when you're running a party of clerics... I've heard of this encounter. Yeah. yeah. When you're running a party of clerics, they all have Radiant Word, right? That's That's great. But what happens when these creatures save on the throw? Because the con save, they have a plus one, so it's like it's not, you know, unheard of for them to roll a thirteen or higher, you know, on most of these saves. What happens if they save and the two clerics that dump strength and aren't wearing heavy armor now are dead? And then, okay, now it's a two on three, and you're getting an attack, an attack, an attack. So it's like, okay, well now three of those those three attacks hit. And even the fighter is now starting to get his strength score low. Because then once his strength score go, went below 12, he was no longer proficient with heavy armor. So now he's got all those penalties associated. And There's just, a lot. It just compounds and compounds and compounds. And it's basically a fight of attrition. So these are not deadly. If you can kill, if you kill one right off the bat, you basically will win the encounter because they rely on numbers. It's, yeah. it's a half CR. It's a pack, they, rely, yeah. they rely on there being three or four of them and kind of focusing down somebody. And now the battle shifts in their favor because of numbers. Yeah. They're not all that intimidating otherwise. But you can see, especially if during an adventuring day that you might have two or three encounters and on the way out of the creepy, you know, cult dungeon, there's just two of these things and your party of you know, level three adventurers has used all their spell slots. Oh man, we only have non-magical attacks left. So you and I 
we went very similar for our first creature selection here. Yeah, we went with it. Yeah. So you'll enjoy it. I decided to go with the Intellect Devourer, something that was recently introduced in... Uh, it's been around for a while. What I mean is uh, it was in the D&D movie. There's a nice little cameo of the uh, Intellect Devourer walking through. Very prevalent in Baldur's Gate 3. Very much so. So let me go ahead and, you know, to copy a great man that I know, read you a little bit of the details behind it. So an Intellect Devourer resembles a walking ring protected by a crusty covering and set on uh, bestial clawed legs. This foul aberration feeds on the intellect, intelligence of sentient creatures. Apparently I'm lacking it. Taking over a victim's body on behalf of its mind flayer masters. That's right, they are created by mind flayers. Those are those illithids. Those are those like, call it Cthulhu vibey, you know, space aliens. So let's talk a little bit about it because in truth, its base stats aren't anything that impressive. It is a CR level two, uh, CR two. But what's very interesting about it, so it's a, a tiny aberration, lawful evil. Armor class, 12, easy to hit. Hit points, 21. Honest to God, at a CR2, 21, you know, when you throw these at some of your, your players, maybe when they're in the lower levels, uh, later on, they'll probably be very deadly within a very large uh, type of like, almost like pack tactics type of idea. But uh, they have a speed of 40 feet, they, so they are a little quick, and uh, they have initiative about plus two there. Uh, nothing really jumps out at you stat-wise here. I think the biggest stat that they do have is their dexterity at plus two, and their intellect, is the, uh, their intelligence is actually only a plus one, so that's not what makes them deadly. Uh, they do have a plus uh, a stealth of plus four, so that could be very interesting if they are hiding or they sensed something, which is something I'm about to break down here. But uh, they do have damage resistances as well, bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing non-magical attacks. Again, at CR2, very interesting because it could be a one-boss monster for you know lower players, like level one, level two, right? But in like when they're four or five, and you then you introduce like three or four of these things, and they start ganging up, they can start being very deadly because of what they do later on. Uh, they do uh, uh, immune to the blind condition. They do have sense of blind feet up to 60 feet. So that's something rare, uh, rare to encounter. Uh, they are blind beyond this radius, though. So within 60 feet, they cannot, uh, they can sense all of that jazz. Anything that's standing 70, 61 feet and beyond, they're not sensing you there at all. Uh, they do speak deep speech. And like we already mentioned, they do have a proficiency bonus of two there at their CR2. What makes them interesting? detect sentience right away. So I'm going to dive into some of their abilities right away. This is their base ability here. The intelligence devourer can sense the presence and location of any creature within 300 feet that has an intelligence of three or higher, regardless of interposing barriers, unless the creature is protected by a magical spell called mind blank there. Now, again, you're like, okay, I'm starting to see a, a connection, but they don't seem that strong. And even here, multi-attack. Intelligence Devourer makes one attack with its claw and uses its Devour Intellect ability. Its claw attack, not that bad, right? Plus four to hit, five feet reach, 2d, four plus two, slashing damage. Please, you can take that in your sleep, unless you're a wizard. Reevaluate your life if you are. But what makes them very messed up here is their Devour Intellect ability here and their secondary ability of Body Thief. They are kind of interwoven there. So the intellect devourer targets one creature it can see within 10 feet of it that has a brain. The target must succeed on a DC 12 intelligence saving throw against this magic or take 2D 10 psychic damage as a result. Also on a failure, roll 3D6. If the total equals or exceeds the target's intelligence score, that score is reduced to zero. And the target is stunned until it regains at least one point of intelligence. Very deadly, right? Not a lot of people have a proficiency bonus into uh, intelligence saving throws. That's not one that people usually go charisma, strength, and probably for the most part constitution, right? Yeah, it's so, like the big, the big ones like dexterity, wisdom comprise about 47% of the saving throws in D&D. &D. Yeah, and, and, and as they should. There's a lot of monsters that use them. Now... Cool. Let's talk about this main ability because this is where the, the intellect devourer can also. So that's already that's a fucking that's a crazy ability. Right. You know, I'm dropping your intelligence down to zero, and then you're stunned. You're not moving. You're basically a brain dead patient going. Uh, yeah, it's not happening. So 
the intellect devourer initiates an intelligence contest with an incapacitated, uh, incapacitated humanoid within five feet of it that isn't protected from uh from the good and uh, protection from good and evil spell. If it wins the contest, the intellect devourer magically consumes the target's brain, teleports into the target's skull, and takes control of the target's body. This is already now a rated R podcast, yeah. <laughs> but. It gets worse. While inside a creature, the intellect devourer has total cover against attacks and other effects originating outside its host. So basically, the 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 creature, the thing here, cannot be targeted anymore uh, to to try and hit the intellect devourer. Then, oh, excuse me, uh, the intellect devourer retains its intelligence, wisdom, and charisma scores, as well as understanding deep speech, its telepathy, its brain stats, and otherwise adopts the target statistics. It knows everything the creature knew, including spells and languages. If the host body dies, the intellect devourer must leave it. Uh, if you cast the uh, protection uh, from good and evil spell on it, it drives the intellect devourer out. Uh, the intellect devourer is also forced out of the target uh, if it's devoured by means of a wish spell. So if... Uh, Grant, casting wish can fix this problem. By spending five feet of the movement, the intellect devourer can voluntarily leave the body, teleport into the nearest unoccupied space within five feet. The body then dies unless its brain is restored within one round. Yeah. This is a CR2 creature. Yep. Yeah. And you that's and you can see very easily, like the thing that I love particular so shadows are ones where you're like, okay, you'll find them in a ruin, right? Mm -hmm. This is one that especially for like if you mind players are gonna play a big part of your campaign in an urban setting, this little thing sneaking about while your party is sleeping, while you think you're safe in like an inn or something, passive perception gets beaten by a stealth. Like it's very easy to see how then because what the great thing about it is that you can just message your character the player and be like, hey. You failed to save. Intellect devourer took your brain. However, you're going to keep acting the same because it retains your memories and stuff. So there might be some oddities here and there. Like you might have actually gotten smarter and more charismatic and more intelligent and everything. Yeah. So that might be a signal to your party. But otherwise, you're allowed to just play the character how you normally would have. And then at a certain point, the DM can be like, you you go to like, you're like, oh, I'm going to cast the evil ring into the fire. And it's like, you feel a force inside you compelling you instead to hand the ring over to the mind flayer. Yeah. And they're like, and then you find out. But it's like you talked out. about in regards to, uh, uh, in regards to the shadow as well. What's another big dumb stat within D and D, especially if I'm a melee based creature, it's going to be intelligence. intelligence. I'm not going to, my, I had, a, I one time had a barbarian intelligence of eight. Yeah. Cool. 3d six. I'm rolling to see if your you... average your average roll on 3d6 is uh, gonna be like a 7.5. Yeah, so like you're almost guaranteed to be dead. Almost, yeah, and that's what makes them deadly. Now I know your next one. You and I again, we're talking about it, is actually pretty fun as well. Go ahead yeah. and let the audience know. Yeah, so this is one that I I've mentioned before very briefly, but cockatrice and cockatrices are super fun monsters, especially low level. Again. I stuck with really, really basic ones. My CRs, I don't think for any of the ones I recommended, um, my CRs are all half. So these are like truly low level, like one, two, three. These are like what you would likely be coming across. Yeah, not me. <laughs> so I went a little higher. <laughs> the cockatrice looks like a hideous hybrid of lizard, bird, and bat, and it's infamous for its ability to turn flesh into stone. These omnivores have a diet that consists of berries, nuts, flowers, and small animals such as insects, mice, and frogs, and that they can swallow whole. They would be no threat to anything else if not for their fierce and frenzied response to even a hint of danger. So here is some of the things that make it very interesting. First off, it's a small creature, which there's not many small monsters in D&D, no. especially ones that are deadly. It's like, okay, pixies are a small one, but it's like, okay, how often are you going to run into an evil pig? It's not really something that's very common, but they have an armor class of 11 with 27 hit points. So that's really high for a half. Like when you're, especially when you're thinking at a level one, a barbarian's probably somewhere around 16 HP. So even at level two, this thing probably still has more HP than your level two barbarian. So it's still a fairly substantial amount, but it has dark vision of 60 feet, a walking speed of 20 feet, but a fly speed of 40 feet. These things are known to be in the grasslands, but what makes them dangerous is their bite attack. It's the only thing they can do. It's plus three to hit, reach five feet, 1d4 plus one piercing damage. You're like, 
1d4 plus 1. It's like a, it's like a wizard stabbing with a dagger. Like, come on. <laughs> but we really hate wizards on we, this podcast. We do, we do a lot oh, of wow. wizard yeah. even though I love Sorry, them. guys. <laughs> but the target must succeed on a DC 11 con save or be magically petrified. On a failed save, the creature begins to turn to stone and is restrained. It must repeat the saving throw at the end of its next turn. On a success, the effect ends. On a failure, the creature is petrified for 24 hours. So the reason the petrified condition is so interesting because it's very rare that it comes up, but it's basically turned into stone. Um, it's incapacitated, so you can't move, speak, you're unaware of the surroundings. Every attack roll against you has advantage. Yep. You automatically fail strength and dexterity saves. Um, you do have resistance to all damage, though, which is kind of a fun thing, and you are immune to poison and disease, which is also, again, not kind of a fun thing. But what makes these creatures very interesting is the fly speed, and I'll tell you why is that I can already see a combat encounter at night. One of your players doesn't have dark vision. Well, you know what happens when a creature flies up, bites you, and then flies away? You don't get an opportunity attack because you can't see them. You can't see them, yeah. And so you've got a family of four cockatrices. You happen to walk into their nesting zone, and they're just diving down from the two trees going, bite, 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 fly back in the tree, bite, 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 fly back in the tree. And yeah, maybe DC 11 isn't, you know, isn't that uh, high, but if you've got to continually keep making the save four separate times, eventually you're going to roll a one and a three and a four, and you're going to be stoned. And once you get one person down, then it's like, okay, if it was a four, it was a four on five. Now it's a four on four. And you're like, mm, they got 27 things, hit points. They're things are starting to look rough. Things are starting to look a little rough. Yeah. So that's what makes them dangerous is the fact that they can petrify you and just leave you there for 24 hours and you don't know what negative thing could be occurring to you like outside of it like the cockatrices could keep attacking you and even though they would you know only be doing half damage they would have advantage on the attack they would eventually whittle you down doing 1d4 plus 1 they would just like literally chip at you until you're dead like until you're, you crumble into a stone pile so i think they're very interesting for that reason is that they are a half CR that gets a 40 foot fly speed, which is insane. And you have to imagine these are half CR, like you mentioned, yeah. it's half CR. DC, while it's not high, that 40 foot fly speed means that as a DM, you can really make like a jungle canopy late at night. Well, they're, they've got so many trees to hide in. They can die, like they're small creatures. They can dive into owl, like little owl holes that have been burrowed into trees. Like they, mm -hmm. it can really be an annoying and deadly encounter, especially for anything up to, I would say, probably like a level three party. Yeah, and they're they're very tough. Like, uh, like I've I've ran one shots with them before because they're just great one shots, mm -hmm. uh, like little creatures for you to fight. Now, let me tell you about my next one. So I tend to always go a little higher. I know you picked for the most part under your half, right? I'm this one is a little higher on me on my CR rating. I did go four. You know, we we set the rule of six, and I I like to kind of push the boundary sometimes. Now, what I picked here, Brewmaster Austin, is the black pudding. Ooh, it is a classic. It is a news for those of you that don't know. Again. I pulled a lot of my references from the D&D movie. So go check it out. A great movie. Shout out to Chris Pine. Uh, but <laughs> well, he's kind of problematic, but yeah. Yeah. Maybe just so, shout out Wizards. Good job with the movie. Not so much with Chris Pine. I he thought was it was pretty good. No, he was a great performance, but there's other we should off, do like a, like, off screen issues with Chris Pine. Well, yeah. Anyways, so a black pudding resembles a heavy mound of. Does he have. Uh, Issues off, off screen. Yeah, there's a, we can get into it. Oh we my God. Do, I, we can do a gossip podcast later. I would love to do a gossip podcast. Yeah. Welcome to D&D podcast. So uh, a black pudding resembles a heavy mound of sticky black sludge. In tip passageways, the pudding appears to be a little more than a blot of shadow. Flesh, wood, metal, and bone dissolve when the pudding ebbs over them. Stone remains behind, wiped clean. So imagine basically like, God, do you guys remember the old Goosebumps books? Uh, monster blood, the green monster blood. Mm. This is how I always imagine a black, an ooze, right? And then this uh, black pudding in particular, right? So let me tell you about it. Uh, black pudding. Large ooze, it's unaligned. It doesn't have a preference. It just lives to live. Armor class seven. Easy to hit. A wizard could hit this. Sorry again, wizards. <laughs> they could punch it, yeah. However, their hit points are a little higher here. We are talking 85, the average on uh, 85 hit points there. Uh, the speed v, uh, speed is 20 feet, and they also have a climb of 20 feet. And their initiative is minus three. 
to their initiative. So they were extremely slow in that aspect. And I'll tell you outright, every single one of their stats is a negative score, including two that are minus five. Yep. Their intelligence and their charisma, yep. which makes sense. Mind you, their strength is plus three and their con is plus three. They are immune to acid, cold, lightning, and slashing damage. They also have conditioned immunities of blinded, charm, deafened, uh, exhaustion, frightened, and prone. Senses, also a blind feet, uh, uh, blind sight creature. Uh, they are blind outside of that radius and they have a very low passive perception. But here's where things get fun with them. It's their abilities. And this is another reason why I love I love monsters that have these extra, okay, we don't hit hard, but look what we can do here. It does have amorphous. Uh, it can move as, uh, through a space as narrow as one inch without squeezing through. So you're hiding behind that door. Okay, better hope that door doesn't have a crack because it's probably getting through. Corrosive form. A creature that touches the pudding or hits it with a melee attack within five feet of it takes 1d8 acid damage. Any non-magical weapon made of metal or wood that hits the pudding corrodes. After dealing damage, the weapon takes a permanent and cumulative minus one penalty to its damage rolls. If the penalty reaches to minus five, the weapon is automatically destroyed. Non-magical ammunition made of a metal or wood that hits the pudding is destroyed after dealing damage. The pudding can eat through two inch thick non-magical wood or metal in one round. It's also got spider climb. Its uh, actions are the pseudopod effect there. I'll, I'll go back here, but I just want to I want to power through this here because bludgeoning damage causes 4d8 acid damage. Creatures uh, around this time are starting to experiment with that acid damage, so it's actually pretty fun. In addition, non-magical armor worn by the target is partly dissolved, and it takes a permanent and cumulative penalty of the AC, a minus one uh, to the AC it offers. If it reaches 10, it's destroyed as well, the armor. It has a reaction as well in which the if the pudding uh, that is medium or larger is subjected to a lightning or slashing damage, it splits into two new puddings that, has, uh, that have at least 10 uh, uh, hit points. Each new pudding has hit points equal to half of the original puddings rounded down. New puddings are one size smaller than the original pudding. These are deadly creatures that for a CR4, all like you touch it, you're taking hits on your weapon. You, uh, it touches you, you're taking minus hits on your AC, mm. right? And equipment that breaks, it is permanent, permanent. That's it. It's sticking around. And if I happen to attack it with, let's say, a lightning or slashing damage, how many people have slashing damage at that level, right? I'm going to split it again and again. Sure, I can reduce the hit points. And as I reduce the hit points, they get smaller. I'm still hitting it or you're still hitting me and you're still going to take that damage. So, and it's going to stack uh, puddings to me, black puddings oozes in general are just a walloper mm -hmm. uh, as well. Uh, we do have one more each here. So uh, Austin, I know you've got another and, there. And it's kind of fun to hear that Mo went with black puddings as his secondary one, because I will give you a creature that you would face way earlier than the CR four that the black pudding is yeah. at CR half with the rust monster. So the rust monster is a half CR creature. It has a 14 AC, 27 hit points with a base speed of 40 feet. Again, super fast so you're thinking at 40 feet the only thing that's really going to compete with 40 feet is like maybe a wood elf monk or like a tabaxi rogue or something like that that might be the only thing that has the speed similar to that so it's already extremely fast dark vision the usual stuff now here's some of the interesting things it has the rust metal which is very similar to the um uh the the black puddings thing where it's like any non-magical uh a weapon made of metal that hits it um it starts to corrode after dealing damage it takes negative one to the damage rolls really cool it, it, if the penalty drops to negative five it the, it's destroyed non-magical it, so that's very similar the one of the interesting things is that a rust monster can pinpoint by scent any any non-magical metal within 30 feet of it so you can see that how like even if it didn't have dark vision it can sit, sense out people hiding behind cover, you know, maybe it, the party sleeping in an inn, party sleeping in a cave, like using an illusion to maybe trick people into thinking it's a solid wall. Like it can sense that, right? The bite attack is nothing, you know, it's 1d8 plus one. It's nothing crazy. However, 
the rust monster corrodes non-magical uh, metal objects. It can see within five feet of it. If the object isn't being water carried, the touch destroys a negative, uh, or sorry, a one foot cube. So automatically, like right now, just if it were, if someone were to place one of these in like a vault, it would just destroy a literal one foot cube of it for, for like as a free yeah. action, as an action. So we can automatically start creating a path. So like two of these things, and that's enough for someone to steal, get into the vault and get out. So you can already see how that's very useful. But if the if the object is being water carried, you got to make a DC 11 dexterity save to avoid the touch. And it does the same thing to armor. If it gets to a 10, it's destroyed. If it if the negative penalty on a shield makes the shield a zero, it's also destroyed. So you can see why with a 14 AC, which is already higher than both the shadow and the cockatrice, 27 HP and get a half CR creature, which is the same as the cockatrice. And now you're destroying everyone who's facing this pre-level, you know, five does not have magical weapons, does not have magical armor. And armor's expensive. It's very expensive. A pallet, like yeah. a cleric's plate mail is 500 gold. Yeah. So you think like, okay, well, it, it only got hit once. It's like, yeah, but that one AC matters. And it starts to build, it starts to build up. And if you start, and if you're in a campaign where these things could appear multiple times and you don't have the ability to like, get it fixed, get it mended, get it, you know, get it corrected. You can easily see that the party over the course of like, okay, well, we got to fight through all these things. We're going to make it outside of the, this like exclusion zone. We're going to get new armor. Well, it's like our armor's corroded by the time we get halfway through and martial characters, especially other than barbarians really. And monks really rely on armor. So if your armor is getting destroyed, that's tough. If you're a martial character and your longsword, your axe, your whatever is now destroyed at a half CR, that's insane. Team, there's a reason why Brewmaster and Austin and I get along. We picked similar monsters for the most part across the board. We 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 understand it's not how hard it hits, it's what it does after it gets hit. And these are creatures that are having that effect. Because I could point out, there's like, uh, I think it's called the Assassin. I think it's a, a from uh, Acquisitions Incorporated. Yes, but yes. It's a CR5. Yeah. And, and yeah. It, it does the rogue sneak attack. But on top of that, if the creature's surprised, it takes like an extra like 9d6 or 9d, something like that, poison damage. Yeah, which so is rare. Like, yeah, yeah. You can be like, okay, this one is deadly because of the damage it does. But what we're showing you is that there are ways to make the encounter very dangerous. Very like players get their oh god because these are encounters that make things permanent. Yep. Except for like the shadow, which obviously you you can get your strength score back, but it's like oh fuck! Like as the encounter goes on, the more you really want to drag this out. Yep. Out. Because don't forget that for characters that are using your strength, like with that one, oh uh, my longsword's not hitting as hard or as my, easy to hit. The my, the pudding, my weapon, yeah, your weapon. The pudding, pudding it, it's it's, it's the AC. It. It's, it's the weapon's getting weaker. This the is armor's getting oh my god! Yeah. It is. I'm telling you, and guys, you I got split, goosebumps right now because I've I've had an encounter like this. And if you split, in one of my friends' pudding, campaigns, like yeah, if you have someone use lightning and slashing and it splits two or three times, that's three or four negative one penalties each round. Yeah, you know something we have not talked about in our monsters, and this is going to be my last one here. Yep, magic. We have not really discussed mm -hmm. magic. We've been talking about their abilities, but ability magic. So I picked my last one here, Abu Master Austin, Flame Skull. Excellent. One. It is a great one. It is not only is it, it's not strong, guys. And it, uh, we're talking, it's HP, for instance. It's four, uh, It's about averages to be 40. And its AC is only 13. So it's not, but it flies automatically 40 feet. It has no regular uh, walking speed. And outside of its, some of its more typical stuff, it's damage resistances or lightning necrotic piercing. Uh, it's got damage immunities of cold fire and poison. Uh, it's got condition immunities, charmed, frightened, paralyzed, poison, and prone. Now, let's break it down. What makes them deadly? First of all, they have magic resistance. Those of you that don't know, magic resistance, advantage on all uh, saving throws against uh, spells and other magical effects. Holy crap. There's already a reason. It basically equates, if you're a number cruncher like me, to a plus five to, yep. to, save, to whatever yep. save. I'm, I'm probably going to get it. Yeah, I'm rolling twice. Fantastic. Rejuvenation. If the flame skull is destroyed, it regains all its hit points within an hour unless holy water is sprinkled on its remains or a dispel magic or remove curse spell is cast on them. Mm -hmm. Cool. We went up to the top floor to face the mad wizard and we defeated him. And you know what we forgot to do on our way out? 
Yup, we have not sprinkled any holy water. We don't know about this creature. You can allow uh, DMs, you can allow your players to go, okay, maybe give me a history check or maybe just a great wisdom check there, a uh, flat wisdom check and see what we get, right? To see if they remember to do that. Otherwise, they come back and boom, they're restored completely. Now, like we mentioned, spellcasting. They have the spellcasting uh, ability here. So it is an automatically a fifth level spellcaster. Its spellcasting ability is intelligence. Uh, its save DC is 13. So that's what the, most of the spells are going to target. Uh, yeah, which again is mediocre. It's not too bad. Yeah. It's not 13. It's about, it's about average of what, a CR4? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a, yeah, you, you're, most of your players, you got to feel like, so like most of your players are probably going to have a, a 14 probably this time. So it's probably a little under what a player's DC would be. Yep. Uh, requires no semantic and material components. So that means it's not moving its hands because obviously it's a flame skull for a reason. It's literally a skull that's flaming green with, you know, red piercing eyes. Right. So yeah, and it doesn't require any- the spell list. It's yes. insane. This is where they become fun. Mage hand, already deadly. I'm kidding. It is the one cantrip that it can use. Uh, it has three slots at first level. Magic missile, missile and shield. Great. Spells. Hey, remember that AC of 13? Cool. I'm going to burn a, a one- she uh one for shield and now i have an ac until 18. the beginning of yeah. my next turn of 18 mm -hmm. right and magic missile Great get, guess what i'm not doing on magic missile i'm not rolling to hit you i'm gonna hit you well especially in the That's reason it. that magic missile is so deadly on a creature like this is your your so this gets into a little bit to like number crunching and like when tanks are effective for distant classes barbarians are the best tanks before level six and like after level 14 basically because of the the way damage resistances and like hp and, and and stuff works but magic missile is an auto hit that does force damage which is not resisted even by the totem bear barbarian yep you so create three glowing darts or of magical the totem force is it is resisted yeah. but it's like by most barbarians it's not resisted so you know that's like okay like Dang, that's straight damage. That affects a barbarian really hard. What is very cool, though, is the two spells that they did. So, like Magic Mystical and Shield. Yep. Fun thing about Shield, guys, if you cast Shield, right? And uh, it it you will take no damage from Magic Missile. It is mm -hmm. specifically part of the spell. Mm -hmm. So it'll raise your AC. But let's say I target you with a Magic Missile, right? But I use Shield. Cool, I take zero damage. Right. Instead of taking 1d4 per three glowing darts. Right. So at minimum, there are three, six... Nine, yeah. if I cast it three times without doing the shield, mm -hmm. fantastic, right? Yep. Now, second level, it's got two slots. Flaming Sphere, that's an extra... Great uh, spell. Yeah. It's a great little thing. It's basically, imagine like a, about about a, a sixty uh, five-foot orb that goes around the field. And if I run into uh, targets or creatures... And with a bonus action, right? Uh, it is... I am looking at it right now. Second level, it's an action. It's an action. It's an action. Yeah. Yeah. It is, is an action. Is the movement the bonus action? Uh, the movement is the bonus, bonus action, action where yeah, you can right. move so, it. Like, it's, you it's, can move it within 20 feet. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And on a failed save, they take 2d6 fire damage. Yeah. Or on a, yeah. even if they pass, they take half. Yeah. So it's it's very nice. And it's again, it's another thing that they can do on the field. Blur is their other uh, ability there. Yep. Yeah, it's great. Uh, just to sum it down here, guys, a creature has disadvantage on attack rolls against you automatically. I have a shitty AC. Great. Here's Blur. I should be a little bit harder to hit. Now, the last one. And I only get to cast it once. But if I cast it once... Usually all I need, baby, especially if there's three or four of these things in a room, fireball. It is the legendary fireball. It is 66 of fun damage here being tossed at your face there. I 8d6. 8d6. Excuse me. I said 66. Yeah. It used to be 66. Did you know that? In a different edition? Huh. I remember because I was watching an episode with uh, Dimension 20, hmm. but you could see it right there. It's actions. Those are just its actions, right? It also has regular a multi-attack ability. That is a ranged spell attack called Fire Ray. It uses it twice, right? On a hit, 3d6 fire damage, right? And it's a range up to 30 feet. Yeah. It's, again, Brewmaster Austin and I break it down all the time. Does he have a point when he says CR isn't a big revealer? Yeah, even I'm not an idiot, guys. But... This you is could a very see loaded it. creature it's for very... a CR4 because like, you're assuming that like a party of three to four level four adventurers are going to fight this, which means they don't also have multi-attack. So it's multi-attacking. It's got fireball, which even the wizard at this level wouldn't have access to. So it's got 
a, a, a lot of, of, of really cool things that it can do. And like the said, the thing, you know, it's, it's a sentient creature. So it being destroyed and not, you know, you forgetting to do the remove curse or not knowing about the remove curse or the holy water thing, you now have an enemy that's stalking you yep. and like following you. So it's like, it, you know, then it's like, okay, well, every time we got to do a, we want to do a long rest, we got to beat, you know, Jim Bob the Flame Skull because he's coming after us again. Like, you, you know, it's one of those, you know, things that you just have to deal with and it can be kind of a, a fun reoccurring encounter. Can I get a uh, familiar that's a Flame Skull in the Alamond campaign? Uh, if you want to just use the imp stats for it, sure. Bitch. Yeah. Just want one thing. I'm not giving you a flame skull as a familiar. What? That's insane. Anyway, that is Future our... Mo, can you uh, play that music? Thanks, Future Mo. Great job, because it is now currently time for, that's right, everyone's favorite game show, guys, where we dive right back in to homebrewing. Your new game show where we dive into the endless expanse of the D&D community's creativity. And just like a mind flare, we find the good. The bad the downright flump-worthy homebrew items. Mm -hmm. And today we are focusing on, we talked about it a little bit before the podcast, we're going to go spell one. That's something that, while in our big homebrew topic, when we first discussed in our episode 10, we talked about in particular, yes, while items tend to be oversaturated within the D&D community, spells are a little different story. Yes, they do exist. There are a bunch but spells is different because and spells are tougher to balance. Correct. And because, so I know we mentioned things like attunement and all that, but even looking, when you look at the DMG create, like creating spells is tougher because you also have, like you're thinking about, okay, well, what abilities, if it's a save spell, what ability score am I targeting? Cause that matters. That's, that's a power strength thing. Is it a concentration spell? Is it a bonus action? Is it an action? Is it a reaction? Does it do damage? Is it, but you know, there are a lot more things to consider with a spell. And in my experience doing homebrew spells, you will have to alter your first creation. You will not like granted you can get it right the first time, it's very rare that you're going to have it right the first time. You're probably going to have to modify it. So you're talking flame boat, aren't you? That still drives well, no, you insane, it, right? It, no, no. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just talking like generally like any spell that I've created, I feel like I've redone it a couple times, um, you know, just to like, you know, tweak the language. The scaling may have been too high or too low. You know, there, there are things that you can, that, you know, need to be taken into account. So what we decided is that we were going to create, make it easy on ourselves and create three paladin spells, a first level spell, a third level spell, and a fifth level spell. And the reason that we're only doing one, three, and five is that, so for those of you who may be newer to D&D still, paladins are what's called half casters. So they don't get quite the same spell progression as wizards, warlocks, sorcerers, druids, and clerics. Like those are your big... They get the ninth level spells. They progress faster. And you can see all that in the class sheets. Like, so if you go on D&D Beyond or like look in the player's handbook or something, it'll show you when you get certain spells. Paladins only get half the amount and don't go up quite as high. So their spells tend to be more, there's a lot more concentration-based spells because their spell slots are a little more precious. And also there are variations of like a lot of different variations of smite because paladins use smite on a very regular basis. So oh, yeah. like just for an example, there are three different versions level one of smite. Then there's also, uh, I think when you get to fourth level or fifth, yeah, fourth level, you get staggering smites, another option. So like there are, and, and then banishing smite at fifth level. So there are five, six different versions of smite just in the paladins base, like not picking an oath. So, what I'm thinking is that we avoid doing a smite because the smites have been done. Too they've got ones that do fire. They've got ones that do burning, they've branding. Got, they've got ones that do psychic damage. They like, got ones that send you back to the dimension that you came from. from right, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So like there, and I don't think that that would be a great use of showing you guys how to do spells is to do something that's already been done a bunch by wizards, official content. So more so I want to get into when you're creating a spell, same thing with an item. If you guys remember from last episode, I based off the Forge Cleric, right? So I was like, okay, what is this item going to amplify about the Forge Cleric? 
So same thing with this. If you are specifically creating a spell for a paladin, what does the paladin do in your mind or what does your player's version of a paladin do? So are they the more charisma-based, like kind of support character where they're not really in the fighting as much? They're kind of using the more buffing healing sort of aspect of the paladin or are they up in the mix with like the shield and you know the sword and kind of swinging away, smiting and, do, and doing all that? So one thing that I've always um, kind of had a gripe with about the paladin base class is that Mo, I'm going to give you a rhetorical question, but I'm going to give you the question nonetheless. Is do you know if the paladin has any base reaction spells? No, not a single one. Not a single one. Not a single one. Nope. And, and you warlocks get them, wizards get them, like even clerics get reaction based. Like yep. there, and but the class that is up in the mix that you would almost want to incentivize to try casting to use that. celestial S divinity Something, and powers yeah. for the most part. Yeah. So what I'm going to do is I'm all three of these spells are going to be reactions. That's a good idea. Because I think it's a unique space for the paladin. So for the first one, what are you, what is your paladin typically going to do? He's going to be up in the mix, either with a sword shield or a big ax smiting something, right? Yep. So what would be very useful to them? Maybe extra movement speed, maybe extra damage somehow, maybe mm -hmm. some extra protection. Correct. Okay, so these are different things. So you're thinking, okay, what does my paladin need and what does my the character one. So for me, a lot of times when I see paladins, they want to smite things down with holy justice. So yep. I'm going to lean a little bit more towards protecting them and doing damage themselves. So one thing that I think would be a really cool reaction-based spell is that during a round that you use a divine smite, you can use your reaction and expend one paladin spell slot to uh, basically like create a divine ward around yourself for half the damage that you did in a smite for that round. So let's say you did a first level smites 3d8, you rolled a 10. You could use a reaction to basically shield off five points of damage. Now, if you went to a second level smite and you did four, you know, 4d8 and you're like, oh, okay, like maybe I did 15 points. Yeah. And you're like, okay, like now we're talking seven. So it's not too much. But as you get to the bigger smite levels, when you start getting into the 568 for uh, a third level smite with Fiend, you're like, okay, 48 damage. Like if you're rolling a 30, like 15, like that's pretty solid. That's for starting, a to, it's starting to make a level a, one spell. On a yeah. Like it's, that's it's, pretty It's solid. usable. It, it right. becomes it becomes something that is man uh, great questionable at lower levels, mm -hmm. right? Right. You know, it comes in handy, but then yeah. later on, man, but, and it, it, and it really, I could take off some serious I damage. It, I think it, it, it would scale great into late it's great early bad mid game because early five hit points why well, might not sound a lot but with your paladin that only has 15 that's 33 percent of your hp yeah now the caveat i would want to give with it is that it's not the it wouldn't be the total amount that you did in smites for the round right because otherwise then you're going to have a paladin smite with haste you know all the time and then they're going to be 80 damage, right? And then it's like, okay, you're never going to kill the guy. It has to be on one attack. You can pick one attack. You have to. This is all you down. get. This is this all, all you get. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that's a really cool way to both buff them and encourage resource expenditure because that's the problem I see, especially with paladins and why maybe some newer DMs struggling with balancing encounters for paladins is that you have to encourage them to smite. You have to. Yep. And this is a way to encourage them to smite because otherwise if you let them just kind of chill for the first two encounters of the day and then you get to your hard encounter that's supposed to be after you whittle them down and they've got all of their smites ready, like there's just not enough creatures that resist radiant damage for you to, you are going to lose. That's it. Yeah, you're not, you're, whatever you prep for the day is not going to matter. So you have to find ways to encourage them to use a couple spell slots early on. And this is a great way to do it because like, hey, rather than me waste my healing potion, maybe I could just use the reaction, tank a little more damage. And it encourages them to be the frontline character they're designed to. That's something with DMs that we tend to struggle with too. Like sometimes we always think like, okay, one encounter a day, 
that's cool, that's great. But then I'm like, not really. That means your players are always going to be prepped for whatever scenario. If they're not using enough, whether the, the wizard's not using his spell slots enough, or whether the ranger's not using his spell slots enough or taking a little damage, and whether the paladin is not burning through it, right? right. Those, they need to be valued, those spell slots that the paladin has access to. Right. An ability to use a reaction, one that could be, you know, very helpful for the party and at the same time, detrimental for the paladin because what happens when they do get into a fight and they need that second level smite man i just crit that's a natural 20 mm -hmm. right i'm doubling my damage oh wait i already burned my third level spell for the day mm -hmm. i'm not going to be doing as much as i thought i was going to be right and that could be the make or break difference right exactly I, and i think that that is why i think the spell is so would be a great addition yeah. is that it would give your paladin something interesting to do because a lot of their first level, it's like cure wounds, you know, obviously healing. But for me, as a paladin, I've never taken cure wounds the times I've paid paladin. You know why? Because I have lay on hands and it's the better version. It doesn't need a roll. I still get the, you know, like same as the spell slot with a paladin. I get my lay on hands pulled back on a long rest. So why would I absorb a spell, uh, you know, one of my known spells with something that I can do better already? from like level two onward. It's just not, it's not worth the spell. So that's Absolutely. something I gripe with it. And that's, and then that's again, that's that's a basic level, level one spell. spell right Now let's talk about level three. Yeah. Level three is where we start getting a difference. Access to level three spells mm -hmm. here. Mind you, as we discussed already, half casters yeah. in this Paladin's case. It's gonna be what, like level nine, nine 10, yeah. Nine, they get nine, access yeah. to two level first, uh, two level, uh, level three spells mm. at level nine. And that's also at the same time, they don't pick up anything uh, for their subclass right. there at that point. Right Now, I'm with you. Let's, I mean, I'm looking at the spells right now for Paladin and take a look at these uh, third level spells. Aura of Vitality, great ability, right? Blinding Smite, we've already talked about the Smites. Creating food and drinking water, lots of uh, create food and water outside yeah. of it. Crusader's Mantles. Crusader's cool. Mantles, yeah. Here's the big ones though, if you ask me, right? For, uh, for a Paladin. Revivify? Yep. Huge. Yep. We're talking massive. massive. It, that's it. Revivify is a way for us to go, okay, I can create. It doesn't have to be the cleric. Oh, God, we're not relying on the cleric. The paladin also has access to it. Thank, thank the Lord, ironically enough, <laughs> right? Remove curse as a level three one as well. Spirit shroud, magical circle, elemental weapon is also. These are spells that are starting to expand your list here. Now, what I'm thinking, I'm with you. On the uh, on reactions, I think this would be a great time to focus on a reaction at the third level. Now, there's not a lot of third level reaction spells. A lot of them tend to be like, as far as my memory serves me, right? Unless, uh, hang on, is what you call it? Uh, Silvery Barb's level three, or is that higher? No, Silvery Barb's is lower. Lower, okay. Oh, is that counter okay, spells yeah. like counter scales? Your big example, it's yeah. Like your third level reaction. That's a huge spell. one. That's a huge the one. one. That it's is arguably the... one that's should be probably a fourth level spell. It's a very powerful spell. But something that I also want to point out too is that so in the third level spell slots, you're like, okay, you get elemental weapon, but you're like, eh, I already should have a magical weapon by this point. So it's like, eh, that's kind of blah. Blinding Smite is pretty solid. You're like, okay, like it's 3d8 radiant damage, concentration for up a minute. So why would I pick Spirit Shroud? You know, when you're like, okay, 3d8 for Blinding Smite with a chance to blind him or 1d8 on it. And you're like, okay, I can reduce their speed a little bit. You're like, eh, like that's not great. That's basically like the wizard using, was it Ray of Frost? Like, yeah. It's kind of the equivalent. It's like, it's, eh, that's not great. So whereas the first level spell was based on tanking i want to give the paladin an actual useful damage spell here at third level because you're like blinding smite not great i was going to link to that crusader's oh. mantle is okay it's 1d4 for each of your allies within 30 feet of radiant but you're like again at level 9 that's an average of 1.5 damage so I was leaning either towards, yeah, I was leaning towards damage or healing as well because I'm looking at I like- I want healing for five. I'm in agreement. I have an idea for- I'm in agreement, yeah. Yeah, yes. like looking at it, yeah. So here is the problem with paladins and giving them more damage is that, like we said, smite is the big thing. They are going to smite. They're going to, it's the what the class is made around. It's why wizards is kind of adapting 1D&D &D to not, 
let them do everything that they do because the paladin is kind of a very all-encompassing class it's tanky it heals it's got charisma it's support it's, yeah it's, it's a, got support it's like oh my god shield of faith are you yeah. kidding me like so there's like what geez. what could i do as a reaction to you know make make this you know some sort of like actual cool you know spell and so my idea was basically you've already got the base divine smite but let's give it a way to use it as a reaction so how about on a you know on a time when you see your an ally within 30 feet of you and 30 feet is a very important range for paladins because as paladins their aura gets bigger it only goes up to a 30 feet so that's why i want to keep everything within 10 to 30 feet so reaction 30 feet they see an ally get hit by a a melee or a melee weapon or ranged weapon attack so not a spell attack i'm going to point be very clear i want to be like very limited on what this does but they can speak basically a divine word almost like a modified divine word cantrip and essentially call down the the divine smite from a range and do and so it does the same damage as the third level That's divine really smite cool. so 5d8 you're not anything broken an extra d8 if it's a fiend to 68 so you you don't upcast it there's no upcasting ability on this so like if you want to use the fourth level spell slot cool it's not getting any strong. Yeah, that's it. It's, it, it is it's, what it is. Yeah. As your smite, you're limiting. You're but limiting its capability. It's now as you should. You the chance of like, okay, so maybe I didn't choose to smite this round. Maybe I did bless and did a bonus action of like, you know, some one of my like aura vitality or something or whatever. No, not aura or like blinding smite or something. Whatever it is. Blind, yeah. You know, whatever my other bonus actions. It's it's a smite. More than likely, yeah. it's a blinding smite. Or it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I got bonus you. Bonus action like compelled duel. Whatever it is. Yeah. But somebody else gets hit, and now you have the ability, and you can use that sort of holy retribution. You're like, yes, damage. It's just giving you a way to smite from range. But again, it has the caveat of it has to be a weapon attack, either ranged or melee, and they have, and the person getting hit has to be within thirty feet. That's usually the biggest problem. What yep. we what we've done there with this one, right? This this spell creation. We'll come up with names later, guys. These are just ideas to give you guys kind of like walking through like the garden of homebrewing. But you've made. Yeah, I would just call it like holy retribution. Yeah, that's and, what but I call it, yeah. what is the biggest thing that the for all its benefits on a paladin? What does it lack? It doesn't have range. It doesn't have range. There's no range capability for a paladin. Broken because I feel like even paladins at like 20th level only get what three or four for third level spell slots. Uh, four. uh yeah, I believe it's four. four. So it's like okay, my brain is not working. It's right like now. okay, there's they can only do this a couple times a long rest. At what level? Their uh, 20th level, like they were 20th level. level. Uh, their top, uh, for their fifth, two, no, uh, third. How many? Third? Oh, third, uh, three, three. So, yeah, yep. three. So, three times, like you're real, that's really limited. And again, it's it's the same as if they were smiting, it's the same thing, which it's means just paladins, paladins gained their three at a level 11. That's yep. it, and that's it. And, and so, yeah, th but this is a way for them to do what they're gonna do, they're gonna smite, and it's not actually giving them any additional damage it's just letting them do another smite in a round so they could theoretically in a round with their two attacks use their two third level spell slots smite and then use their reaction to do this but now they've burnt all their thirds to say goodbye to revivify so you've given them a choice to damage or support and that's always what you kind of want to do you want to find what the class is struggling with to go back and forth and give them a spell that makes them choose one side or the other so then we get to Love fifth level seventeen for paladin. So this is big time, yep. right? So uh, level seventeen, yep. you are fighting cosmos and plane ending, you know things. But that being said, you're also it's a fifth level spell slot. You are not giving them something equivalent to the wizard's ninth level spell slot. That Absolutely not. not. They, they, just yeah. because they get less spells does not mean their spells need to be stronger. It just means that there, it needs to equate. So some of the fifth level spells they have are like banishing smite, which we've mentioned. Uh, you know, destructive wave is a circle, is a, of, power. circle of power. Yeah, uh, geese is a really is a really good one. Uh, Holy weapon is pretty cool as well. As is uh, so, the raised dead, mm -hmm. which yeah, again that's leaning into the necromancy side of things, but it's leaning into more specifically here. And this is what you mentioned in the last uh, mm -hmm. level three, the healing mm -hmm. side of things, right? There's some type of raise or some type of uh, re revivification from earlier, or some type of benefit granted to you know. Health con constitution, basically. Mm -hmm. Oh, and, and I forgot so, summon celestial. 
They could summon a celestial being. So remember, you get five. And so this is where I, why I wanted to save it for this, because this is the perfect time for this spell. I've actually kind of been debating on like actually creating for a while now. So it's kind of nice to actually have this moment to bring it out. But I've I've been looking for a way to do give paladins a ranged healing option. So again, with the reaction, kind of similar to what we did with the smite, right? A ranged healing option. So again, 30 feet. I'm not going above the aura because the aura is the big thing for paladins. You want to be close. So I'm not trying to be like, hey, you can do healing out the 60 feet. No, you want them to be near the party. You want to encourage them to use the class features with this spell. So as a reaction, use your use a fifth level spell slot, which you said you get two by level 20. So you're only be able to do this twice, right? One or two fifth level spell slots. Perfect. So as a you as a reaction, you can select a number of points from your lay on pans pool and do half that amount of healing at range. Oh my god, I love it. And so That's now there's so a penalty cool. for not going over and touching, right? But at this level, you've got 17, you know, 17 times so it was like almost a hundred by level twenty by level twenty, you've got over a hundred, basically. Yeah. But you've got like a hundred almost a over almost a hundred points that you can give out in healing. And so you're like, hey man, like mm, I'm gonna give you 40, which is really 20 at a range. Because right now I can't get away from this boss to come over and heal you. And the paladin doesn't get access to healing work. We're saying we're, we're making this a reaction as reaction well, right? As well. Yeah. But so they like get... I can't come over and heal you. Like I'm I, my turn isn't for a little bit, but I've got a reaction to like to heal you. How would we, we base it strictly off if they see someone just get see, hit? No, just yeah. as a see like so similar to like heal like a like um like counterspell almost okay. like where you can just kind of like use it if the spell has been cast. Like it, it as a reaction, uh, ally or other creature that you see within thirty feet, you can expend a number of lay on hands points up to its maximum and do half that amount of healing at a range of up to thirty feet. I think I think the aviat I think the I think we should add the via the condition of it being struck. Someone being struck, okay. yeah. Something. Taking, some, do you want to be taking damage or I, being struck by like a weapon attack? I think I think being struck by a weapon attack before damage is rolled. Okay, right, because then they've got to make a choice. Okay, then how about I like that caveat. We modify this then, yeah. rather than doing it as healing. Let's say as a reaction before damage is rolled, you can select one of your allies or other creature up to thirty feet that has been hit by a ranged spell ranged weapon or melee weapon attack so not a saving throw agreed and use a number of your lay on hands pool up to its maximum and do give half that amount as temporary hp i like that even better because then now because otherwise if someone gets hit and they're at full hp then this is kind of useful useless correct if you're like oh man the dragon just crit on them and but i'm going to use all 80 of it to give them 40, 40. hp it's like okay they're still going to take some damage but I just kept them from being in death's door. No, and not just that. Fully what, healthy. What we've also prevented now is the paladin is not basically doing a ranged cure, uh, healing word. Mm -hmm. Temp HP, everyone, does not bring up someone who has hit zero. Right. No Zero right. HP. And just because I give you temp HP mm -hmm. doesn't mean you're and coming up. it still up. lets you yeah. use your lay on hands if you want to use it for the full amount to actually heal or to uh, you, you use it to remove one of those conditions that it does. But I think... I've been struggling on this and I think actually the addition of making it temp because I was really struggling with balancing it because I was kind of finding in my own playtesting when I was just kind of running numbers that the half was a big penalty. Yeah. It really was. Because it was. you only get it back on a long rest. Yeah. So I, I do kind this of- This isn't the Warlock's yeah, half, yeah, you know, do, short rest ability. I do kind of debate on whether or not I should allow it to be the full amount, but I think being temp HP- and having the conditions that it does, I think gives it the chance to be useful as soon as you get it at 17th. And it really is, it's an ability that is designed to save a cataclysmic event. It's yep. not one, which it should be for- the At level, level 17. Spell. Yeah, you're talking so level, level 17. Spell and they only get two. 17, 18, and 19, paladin, and 20. Yeah, That's you have it. to give the paladin a choice. Right? Yeah. You have to make, because- Here's the and and Wizards of the Coast will admit this to you if you listen to like their D and D Beyond podcasts and stuff is that the reason they're doing so much work on the Paladin now is that the Paladin is too good at too many things because with the Lay on Hands pool with Cure Wounds with the Smites with 
all of the stuff they get, they can do damage, they can support, they can heal almost as well as any other class, like yep. in one class. So, and for someone, someone that's a martial character, shouldn't be this good right. at everything, right? So it's this, one thing to do it, do it with the bard. Mm -hmm. It's a different thing to do it with, you know, the the main class that's been around since mm -hmm. the inception of Dungeons and Dragons. And so, with all of these reaction spells, you can see what the design of the spell is. It's to make the paladin use their bleeping resources. Yep. It is at level one. Use your spell slot, maybe not to smite, but to save yourself from damage, and that would scale as you smite, right, up to a certain point, you know, it scales up to the mid game and then it's like, okay, well, now that spell may not be as useful for you in every, you know, combat situation, but it might save you a couple times. Then third level, we give you a range smiting ability, but you're still using a, one of your very limited third level spells. That means you can't vivify, which is a very powerful spell, right? Yep. So you're giving him the choice. like, do I take the risk of using this spell to strike this creature down, hopefully, and not have the revivify, or do I save it for the revivify? You're giving them a choice. And then with this one, do I save my lay on hands pool, or do I do I save the wizard who just got crit by the dragon while I'm over here fighting one of the henchmen? Yeah, and I can't get away. Like, yeah, because lay on hands in general will, if it's used regularly, that will bring up somebody right from because you, uh, knocked you, out. Yeah, there's no requirement that you use a minimum amount with lay on hands. And that's why it's so strong is that technically it's like an infinite good berry because if you have a hundred, you can just be like one HP. Oh, they're back up. The creature now has it. to use another attack to bring them back down. There's no, you know, there's no negative to doing that, right? So this is why I think creating spells for Paladin specifically needed to be resource drawing. They need to draw out the spell slots, the lay on hands, the this, that, the other. D&D Beyond Wizards, uh, if you guys are listening, uh, we have two great brains here. Uh, I'm just saying we're sitting right here. I mean, <laughs> you can use us at any time. Now, guys, I know this episode is running a little long, but this is a great topic. And this is uh, this is a great chance for us. And uh, some of these homebrew episodes will probably run a little bit longer here. So right before we reach the end, a couple things I want to just do a quick uh, plug for. Uh, we Our TikTok is up and running. We have our first, our first TikTok, TikTok it's video. It's a spell guessing game that I'm too good at. He's really good at it, and he also chucked my DMG across yeah. the room, yeah, and I'm so, uh, kind of upset by that. Yeah, you you shouldn't be. It was used in the winning. So, uh, Brewmaster Austin, to finish things off, uh, what do you think every favorite drink is for every class, or just some of the classes? Like, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with Paladin just because we've been we've been on the Paladin thing. It's a wine, know, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. No, he's a mead guy. Yeah, I can see me. He's a me because like the wine, he's he's already had enough with like the because yeah. like cleric, I could see being wine because they're like, oh, behold you and thou the blood of the body. Like they could be that whole thing. But the paladin's kind of like, it's cleric with an edge. And he's like, ah, I'm a mead guy. I don't drink that frou-frou wine. Yeah. <laughs> so I feel like, like, uh, like the the wizard mm -hmm. would it be definitely a mixed drink? Oh yeah, cocktail. So, a cocktail, hundred percent, yeah. hundred percent. Like, and I I mean like a fancy cocktail. Oh yeah, it's got to There's like smoke and glitter. Yeah. Oh god, it's, it's the whole thing. It's got like a floating like miniature like ship on top of it. Yeah. Do we even want to bother with the barbarian? It's he's he's obviously drinking moscato. I love myself the biscotto. <laughs> it's so sweet. It's so good. Of course, it's beer. It's ale. He drinks the ale. It's grog. Honest to God, I think Travis Willingham does the best yeah. version of a barbarian ever. Like, yeah, that's he, it. We're drinking. Yeah, it's this great. is it. It truly is great. But with that being said, uh, we've had so much fun with you guys. Uh, keep, you know, following the socials. Keep hitting us up on Discord, uh, giving us, you know, ideas on the homebrew, ideas for episode requests. Paladins would probably like missionary, too, if it came to, like, sex, right? We're not diving into this on this podcast episode. We'll, we'll save. That'll be a Patreon content if we ever get it up. Thank that? you guys for joining yeah. us on this episode, guys. We will talk to you soon. And as always, part of the pod, part of the brew. Part we'll of the pod, part of the brew.